I hope that you are um, j- continuing to journey with us as we read through um, the New Testament together. If you have not grabbed one of our reading plans, they are available on the Next Steps table out in the entryway. I would hope and pray that you would join with us. We're only two weeks in. Um, there's plenty of time uh, to still join us. Just jump right on in at this point. We're, we're basically at the beginning of Mark, um, a little bit into Mark, but go ahead and join us and you can get caught up later. Pray that you would join us as we do this together. But as we do this, um, we're walking through, and um, I'm taking the time on Sunday morning and some on Wednesday evening and some on Sunday evening, taking some time to go through and, and look at, in, in particular and in depth, some of the passages um, that we have read the week prior. And this week is no different. This week, the, the, the text for today comes from Matthew chapter 23. We're going to be starting with verse 25. Matthew chapter 23, starting with verse 25. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Jesus is in the midst of a discourse, perhaps slightly one-sided discourse, with the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgent. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is the Word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear God, as we come before you this morning, as we open your holy and precious Word to see what it has to say for us, God, my prayer is is that we would not be like the scribes and Pharisees, concerned primarily or only with the outside, God, but that we would be true disciples of you and more concerned with the inside first. God, your Word can bring breathe new life into us. And so I pray that as we study your word today, all of all of us, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you. To you who are our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. So how am I doing this? How am I, when we have so much to read... So we've read through all of Matthew and the very first part of Mark in two weeks. That's a lot. So when we read through all of that, how is it that I pick from all of those things the things to focus on? Well, partially it's through prayer and discernment. As I read through, is there something that captures me? Is there something that I think is interesting? Is is there something that I think that we especially need to hear? But one of the other things that I'm looking through as we're reading through is what are the texts that people 
are scared of? What are the texts that people don't like to deal with? And the text today is one of those texts. And this is how I know this. There are a lot of churches that use something called the lectionary. may not be a word that you're familiar with, but the lectionary is, is a set of three years' worth of readings. And so for every Sunday... During um, these three years, there's an Old Testament text, a psalm text, a gospel text, and an epistle text. And a lot of churches, a lot of Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches, Lutheran churches, the Episcopal Anglican Church, they use this lectionary to guide what scriptures they're going to use. Now, one of the things that's interesting to me is you would think over the course of three years, they would find a way to get all of scripture read on Sunday morning. But there's some noticeable absences in the lectionary. group of men, group of people got together from all these denominations to, to come up with this common lectionary. And let me tell you, it's interesting. When you look at Matthew and you look at how Matthew is laid out, they stop reading in chapter 22 and they pick back up in chapter 26. Are chapters 23, 24, and 25 not the Word of God? Are they not beneficial to the people to hear and hear expounded on? Here's another way that I know that people are scared of preaching this text. I've got some software on my computer called Logos. It's a Bible study software. It was a wonderful gift for my parents when I graduated from seminary. And one of the things that's in there is there are collections of sermons and sermon outlines and that sort of thing. And almost any text, I can go in, I can punch it in, and I can get a list of four, five, six different outlines that different preachers have done over the years of different, different texts. It's a way to help me help somebody think through how a text is organized and potentially how it can be preached. This week, I punched this text in. Do you know how many outlines were spit back at me? Two. Normally, sometimes it's seven, eight, nine, ten. Two. And one of them was an outline of an Adrian, uh, um, um, now I can't think of his name, he was in Memphis. A, thank you, Adrian Rogers. An Adrian Rogers sermon in which he just briefly mentions this passage. It wasn't a sermon on this passage, he just briefly mentions it. So really, one outline. So as I was looking at that, I said, you know, maybe we need to look at it. If it's something that we're likely in, to skim over, maybe we should look at it. As I said, this passage today is, is the fifth and sixth woe that exists in this series of seven in Matthew 23. What has happened is um, Jesus has had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He has, he has come into Jerusalem. This is the middle of Holy Week. And as Jesus comes in, there is this, in Matthew in particular, this extended back and forth between the religious leaders and Jesus that occurs over the course of Holy Week, leading, of course, to Jesus' arrest, crucifixion, death, and resurrection. So it's a part of this extended back and forth. Jesus has this chunk of teaching in Matthew 23 in which there are these whole series of woes that are laid out. It is very sad, in fact. Very upsetting. 
And daddy is the worst because he's not paying any attention to me. So there's this extended back and forth. And that's the context for Matthew 23. But I want to be very careful. I want us to not, as we get started here, I want us to not fool ourselves. I think sometimes we can, we're so easy to look down on the Pharisees. We're so easy, we're so quick and eager to look down on these religious leaders. Well, if, if Jesus came back now, I wouldn't be like that. Well, I can almost guarantee you that the scribes and Pharisees would have thought to themselves, if the Messiah came today, I won't be like that. The Pharisees and the people who followed them are the good, religious, synagogue-going people of their day. They are the good church member. They're the people who are there every time the church is open. They're the people who are doing the work. They're the people who... They are us. That makes us uncomfortable. We don't like it. We don't want to think about that, right? Because they're so often the bad guy in the text. We don't like to think about that. But the truth is, they're, they're us. See, they're very concerned about following all of the rules. They're very concerned about being presentable to the people around them. They want to make sure that they're respectable. And the problem is they come up against Jesus, the God-man who can see through them, who can see into their heart, who can see that their hearts, no matter how clean they are on the outside, that their hearts are just as in need of being born again as the most vile of sinners. From the very beginning of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been concerned about this inside-outside problem. If you cast your mind back to the Sermon on the Mount, and when we studied the Sermon on the Mount a couple of years ago, you will remember that Jesus is very concerned about this inside-outside thing. One of the, you know, that the whole, you have heard it said, but I say. Remember that passage from the Sermon on the Mount? You have heard it said to not murder, but I say even if you carry anger in your heart, use as good as murdered. Jesus is concerned about the status of our heart. All through Matthew, he's, that's what he's been emphasizing. And here in Jerusalem, in his last week before his crucifixion, he brings it home. He brings it home. And so he says, woe. Woe to you. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're still filthy. At first we can look at that and it's like, what, is, what do you mean outside dish, inside dish, Right? But think about it. Where does the food or drink go? Where does the food or drink go in a cup? Cup. Drink. Apparently it goes on the floor. 
I'll try not to slip. It goes inside, right? Like, I'm I, sorry to take it to kindergarten, but it goes in, inside. Now, now if, if, if this beautiful cup, which was brought to me by Dave and Julie from Israel a couple of years ago, if this beautiful cup was sparkling clean on the outside, but inside was full of mud and mold, and would I want to put my water into it and drink out of it? Now, most of us don't want to drink out of it if there's mud and mold on the outside either, do we? But of the two, which is more important? The inside or the outside? I, I, think, I, I think the inside, right? If I pull a mixing dish, mixing bowl out of the cabinet, I don't care if the outside is crystal sparkling clean. I want to make sure that it's clean and dry on the inside. So when I put flour or sugar or whatever in it to start making something, it is edible, right? There's this idea that's fostered sometimes that we have to clean ourselves up before we can get into church. There's this idea that we've got to clean ourselves up before we can come to Jesus. Well, you're welcome to come to church as soon as you get your act together. It has been told to me, and I do not know this for a fact, but it's been told to me by someone that I trust that there is a church in our county that has said that a certain kind of sinner is not welcome to come through the doors of their church until they clean their act up. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, if we're going to close the door to sinners, let's all go home. There's a ball game we can watch. All of us. Not one of us would be in here. If we bar the door to a sinner, none of us are coming in the door. We, we think that we've got to clean up the outside. We think that we've got, to, we've got to get everything together. We've got to clean everything up. We've got to get it all done. But if we cast our minds back to Matthew 15, what does Jesus say? Jesus says that it's that which comes from the heart that defiles us. Not the outside stuff. Not the ritual purity that the Pharisees were obsessed with. There's this element of this ritual purification here. The Pharisees were known for being meticulous about how they cleaned their dishes so they would not defile themselves. And what Jesus is pointing out is is you're so concerned about cleaning your dishes the right way forgotten the most important thing. And in fact, not only have you forgotten it, but as we continue on there, right, we say it's not just that, what are they full of? They're full of of greed and self-indulgence is is what we read today. Literally, it would be plunder and lack of self-control. You're so concerned about what's on the outside that the selfishness which is inside of you that would be more than willing to ride roughshod over any other body else's rights and interests. 
hold sway. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup so that the outside may also become clean. Have any of you who have to wear glasses ever tried to wash dishes without wearing your glasses? And then gone back and looked at the dishes that you washed when you couldn't see them? A lot of times they're not very clean, are they? Let's not be blind. Let's not be blind to the things, to the dirt that we're leaving behind. one of the things that's interesting as we think about this, what Jesus says here, right? Clean the inside first so that the outside may become clean. Let's go back. Think about doing dishes. Think about doing dishes. You've got a, you've got a pot that you've been cooking something in that really gets into the inside of the pot. Now here's the question. Do you clean the outside of the pot first? and then go and scrub the inside? No, because as soon as you do that, right, you're getting all that stuff that was inside the pot on the outside of the pot. Do it this week. Go home, make a pot of chili. When you're done with the pot of chili, you'll have all the wonderful, yummy chili stuff left on the inside, right? Put your pot in the sink, wash the outside, get it sparkling clean. Then go and wash the inside. Then look at the outside and see if it's still clean. Then, because the weather's cold and it's chilly weather, make a second pot of chili. This time, when you clean, go to clean the pot, clean the inside first. Get it good and clean, then clean the outside. Does the outside stay clean that time? It does. There is this thing that happens that, that when we... When we take care of the inside, the outside follows. That we go inside out. Sanctification, growing in Christ-likeness, is not an outside-in process. We don't sanctify ourselves by getting, getting everything clean on the outside and then it seeps into the interior. Growing in Christ-likeness happens when, when we are regenerate, when we are born again, when our heart changes and it starts here and it works its way out. For some of us, certain things work out faster than others. But it's an out, out, inside-out process. In case the Pharisees haven't gotten the point once again, Jesus says, Woe to you. You are like whitewashed tombs. What a strange, strange thing to say. Whitewashed tombs? But see, this is something that they would do. They would, they would whitewash the outside of the tombs so that people could see where they are. Remember what I said about ritual purity. The Pharisees are obsessed with ritual purity, and there is nothing more impure, more ritually dirty than death. And so 
there's a concern that, that if we don't whitewash our tombs and make them easy to spot, that someone who has made themselves ritually clean on their way to the temple will accidentally make themselves impure by coming too close to a tomb. So we're going to whitewash them. We're going to put big neon signs on them that says, death and decay and dirt and corruption here, stay away. Because we want to stay clean. But that's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is there's this thing that we do when we whitewash them so that people can see them and stay away from them. kind of makes them attractive. Have any of y'all ever seen something brightly, freshly whitewashed when the sun hits it on a beautiful, clear day? It, it almost is like a neon sign going off, isn't it? It's so bright and sparkly and, and beautiful. And so the irony is, in, in trying to point out where the death and the decay was, they've, they've done something to make everything look pretty. They've done something where they've taken something that's full of death and decay and rot and corruption on the inside, and they've made it pretty and attractive on the outside. But no matter how good-looking it is on the outside, on the inside it's still full of dead bones. Whenever I read this passage, I think of the, the New Grange Passage tomb in Ireland. If any of you have ever seen it, it's, it's, a, it's a, a mound that was made. It was an ancient Stone Age burial site. That it's a mound, but on the, on the outside of it, it's covered in white quartz stones, and it's on top of a hill, and you can see it all across the river valley. But when you get there, and you go inside. It's still full of death. No matter how beckoning it was from the other side of the river, when you get there, it's still devoid of life. It's dead. Brothers and sisters, the person who cares more about the exterior the person who cares more about getting the outside all clean, the person who's more concerned about being presentable, the person who's more concerned about being respectable than getting the inside right with God, that person is still spiritually dead. No matter how beautiful and pretty and lifelike they look on the outside. You can get everything out here sparkling clean and still be devoid of life. Here's another truth. Often, outside cleanliness leads to pride. Elsewhere, when Jesus is talking about prayer, he points out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And he says, don't pray like the Pharisee does when he walks into the temple. And he points over to the man over there. And he goes, God, thank you. I'm not like him. That's one of the problems with the Pharisees. They're, 
their righteousness, their uprightness, their ritual purity, their, their devotion to the rules, their, their getting everything outside spick and span has made them proud. Sitting in church on Sunday morning in your suit and tie or your dress doesn't earn you points. Sitting in a pew on Sunday morning, even if it's 52 Sunday mornings a year, puts you no closer to life if the inside is still full of death. cast our minds back to Matthew 7. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount and he tells a parable that should cause everyone who claims the name of Christ to at least think. Because he says that not everyone who claims Lord, Lord, is going to heaven. Not everyone who claims, Lord, Lord, is going to spend eternity with Jesus. But, Jesus, didn't I do all of these things in your name? Didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I serve the church in your name? Didn't I wear the right clothes in your name? Didn't I have the right haircut in your name? Didn't I, didn't I hang out with all the right people and avoid all the wrong people in your name? Didn't I do all these things in your name? I don't know you. They did all the right stuff. Brothers and sisters, preaching, prophesying, evangelizing, serving in the name of the Lord is a good and right thing. But unless you know Jesus and unless he knows you, you are dead. People love pointing to my generation, the millennials, and saying you're the participation trophy generation. Well, first of all, none of us gave ourselves participation trophies. Guess who did it? The people who are complaining about having received participation trophies. But brothers and sisters, there are some who sit in church on Sunday morning and think that it gets them a participation trophy and that that's the ticket. The kingdom of heaven doesn't care about your participation trophy. The kingdom of heaven cares about this. There's a reason that every Sunday when I pray, I end. What do, how do I do it? Y'all know it. Pray it with me some Sunday. Be in our mind and in our... Be in our mouth and in our... Be in our hands and in our... Be in our feet and in our... But most of all, beware. And what do we ask Him to do? Set them on fire for Him. Because we can think, speak, listen, 
do, walk, everything. And if our hearts are cold, and our hearts are dead, and the outside is whitewashed, and the inside is corrupt, none of it matters. Our hymn of invitation today is going to be hymn number 277. Take my life and let it be consecrated, my Lord, to thee.